immigrations or excuse me, immigrants should be required to pay some sort of fee that goes into a fund that supports the black community. I hope we can agree on that. All right. So uh, he says also here on page 183, black labor, white wealth, you can get a copy of poweronomics.com. The economic justice that would be inherent for such a fee for the immigrant fee would not only be the repayment to black communities for its expropriated labor. The fees would also cushion the new immigrants drain on social services, establish common ground between the immigrants and blacks and repair the economic drain that these ethnic businesses cause in black communities. So one thing that isn't talked about is how other people drain resources in your community. So if you're talking about the black wealth conversation, if you're talking about where the black, why black wealth is going down to zero, I want to caution you against what I would consider to be the typical conversation, right? The typical conversation is not a very intelligent conversation about black wealth. It's a conversation that simply focuses on uh, legitimate issues, right? Maybe like, you know, housing discrimination or job discrimination, things like that. Those are legitimate issues. I think that's fine. But I really think that that's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you're really scratching the surface. Uh, when you're really talking about black wealth, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, where is the wealth going, right? Who took the money? Why, why is it? Why is the? Why did the, you know? So think about it. If your bank account is short and you don't have the money to pay your bills, or your child shows up and says, uh, I, "I need help paying the rent," well, the first thing you're going to say is, "Okay, what did you do with your money? Show me what you did with your money." And then uh, also, let's say your child could have had a job and and they didn't they didn't take the job because they want to sit at home and play Xbox all day. You would probably say something like, "Well, you know, you had a chance to make money, but you chose not to do that. So not only are you wasting your money, but you." Uh, could have had money and you didn't you didn't go get it. But then also another factor could be maybe somebody stole their money. Maybe um, they had some money and somebody robbed them on the way home. So then you might say, well, who took that money and how do we get Can we get some of that money back? And can we avoid letting that person continuously take their money? Like if your child shows up and says, mama, I didn't eat lunch today. And you're like, well, why didn't you eat lunch? And you say, well, because the child is like, well, because Billy steals my lunch money every day. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I would go to a teacher and say, y'all need to go deal with Billy before I do. Because I'm about to go get up in Billy's ass. I'm about to, about to. Uh, that sounded kind of weird to say, but y'all get the point. I would literally, like Bill, me and Billy would have a problem, right? You taking my little, my child's lunch money, that's an issue, right? So basically for black people, people have been stealing your lunch money for, for three, 400 years, right? That, that's the thing. So, so, so that first question on black wealth, in my view, is who took the money? Where did the money come from? Who, who stole black people's wealth in the first place? And, and then also when black people tried to get wealth, remember, you're not the first generation in your community to try to go and get ahead economically. Parents had just as much ambition as you do. Stop acting like you the first black person in your family to ever think about trying to own something or trying to pass something to their kids. Give me a yes or no if, if you can, if you understand where I'm coming from here. We always believe that we are the first. We the only. I'm the only one. My Nobody in my family ever, ever wanted money except me. I'm the only one who wanted to go out here and get money. Uh, no, stop that. That's not true. Don't disrespect your ancestors in that way. You had a whole lineage of people that contributed to your mere existence right now. If you go back in one generation, two parents came together to create you. You go back two generations, four people came together to create you, right? You go back three generations, you got 16 people, right? Wait, four times, is it four times? Sorry, four times, so that's eight people. Sorry, I'm getting the math wrong. You got eight people. You go back another generation, that's 16 people. Another generation, that's 32. Another one's 64. Another generation, that's uh, 64 times two, which is what, 128. So you go back about five generations, there's 128 people whose DNA all came together to create you. Do you follow what I'm saying? 128 people, that's a, a, So don't tell me that all these people didn't want the same things you want. 
Don't tell me that all these people didn't go out here and say, how do I leave something to my, my children and grandchildren? Don't tell me those people didn't say, how do, I, how do I go out and get a piece of this American dream? How do I get a piece of this pie? They wanted it just like you did. So, so my question is, I don't go with the obvious belief, the false belief that, well, well, black people just been lazy for 400 years and they just started working hard this generation. They did that. Black people just started working hard in 2010. Stop that. No, we've been working hard for hundreds of years. And we wanted to build wealth for hundreds of years. So something happened, something occurred. Either they were blocked when they tried to get the wealth or they got the wealth and somebody stole their lunch money. So I want to, to me, this is a, a murder mystery. This is a whodunit. Because I want to find the son of a bitch who stole my grandparents' money. Who took it? Right? Who took their lunch money? So, so when, you, when you're reading now, one area where we know the lunch money is being stolen is we know that some of that lunch money is being stolen by these people that are setting up businesses in black communities and giving nothing back. That's that there. There's your first several trillion dollars that's being taken out of the community. They set up in your neighborhood, not somebody else's. They're not trying to go to the China to Chinatown. They're not trying to go to where the Arabs live. They're not trying to go to the Jewish community. They come into the hood. They come into the black community. And then because, because they do everything they can to keep you in these slave schools, the public school system is a bunch of slave schools where you're not taught about economics. You know, I, whatever. I don't know what the hell they're learning, but the kids ain't even learn, they, they learning how to read. Right. They're, and they're not teaching about economics. So they convince you that, no, we're here to serve the black community. And we like the black people. You know, you go in the, the store run by the Arab guys and they're playing. You ever been in there where they're playing the hip hop music when, and you go in there to buy hair weaves and, and nail products and, and, and all these products that, that, that should be owned by black people. Right. Somebody from another from Pakistan and they playing 50 Cent and they they playing Drake and all this other stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like they they understand. So they know they're like, OK, these people are suckers. These people are fools. These people are not like us. You know, we don't let people do this to us. We don't let, you know, we, 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 they are economic whores. Uh, we don't operate this way, but they do. So let's just go ahead and say what they want to hear. Let's make them feel good. And so that we can go ahead and get this money and run. Okay. So, uh, so ultimately this is, to me, this is the F you pay me model that says, uh, if you come to this country, you should be required. This is again. These are these are talking points that will be laid out. If a politician ever sits down with me and says, "Doctor Boyce, what can I do to get your endorsement or your support?" I'm going to lay these talking points out. When I have talked to people who are, uh, you know, celebrity types that that speak to these politicians, I say, "Here, these need to be your talking points that you address when you go talk to these people, so they know you're not playing around." So it says also here on page 183 of Black Labor, White Wealth, the Empathy would also provide training and investment loans for blacks to start businesses. Furthermore, just as ethnic immigrants are using revenues generated from their black oriented businesses in order to pay transactions costs of their relatives and friends from their homelands to America, blacks could use the investment funds to cover the bringing in and hiring immigrants of African descent. In fighting for such measures, blacks could make a national issue out of the racial injustice within American immigration policies. This goes back to what we were reading earlier in the book, where Dr. Anderson explains eloquently how immigration policy has always been used to dilute black 
participation in America. There was a time where black people were all, all, one third of the country, damn near approaching half the country, but we were one third of the country that was black. They said, there are too many black people here. We're gonna design immigration laws to water down the population. We need more people in this country who can be classified as white so they can replace black people in every way imaginable. They can dilute uh, the black vote. They can we protect ourselves against all these Negroes. And, 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 then, and then more recently, it's getting to the point where um, they're replacing black people in the labor class. That's why in a lot of cities, uh, a lot of the jobs, like you go to Chicago where I live, a lot of those jobs, construction jobs, things like that, they used to be owned by black people that black people used to do. Those jobs are gone. They're, you know, they're sending your kids to school. To, they're not learning any trades. They're not learning any skills. They literally have become a waste, wasted population. At that point, they have them working in the Burger King. And if that don't work, then they're going to send them off to jail or maybe they'll be out slinging dope. But they're not being put in a position where they have skills. So this is where we step in as a community. And I encourage you, make sure your child has a skill not just an education. They need two things, knowledge and a skill. Education should be part of the process. Education is not the end of the road. Education is the path to the end of the road. So the end of the road is either uh, some sort of knowledge that can be translated into some sort of business venture or whatever, sort of skill. And when I talk about skill, I'm talking about everything from uh, being an electrician to being a dentist, but make sure they know how to do something that where people are required to give them money in order for them to utilize that skill. Do not have your child going to college majoring in business management. That is some ambiguous shit. Like I am a college professor. I have taught on these campuses for many years. I have taught many business management majors. And a lot of times I literally have no ability to identify what their discernible skill actually is other than the fact that you have that piece of paper. If you got to show me a piece of paper from a college, were you $200,000 in debt? If you have to show me a piece of paper from a college to convince me that you have skill, that probably means that you have no skill. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want the kids to have the kind of skill that you do not need paper in order to prove. Like, you know, if the only skill you have is, well, I got the bachelor's degree. Here's my piece of paper. Congratulations to you. But that it's hard to convince a boss, and I'm a boss. Make no mistake about it. I, 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 I have run a company for many years now. When I'm looking for who I want to hire, I don't really, I don't, I've never ever hired a person and asked them to show me a piece of paper as proof that they can do the job. I have never ever asked. I have a bunch of people on my staff, and if you would have asked me how many of them have bachelor's degrees, I couldn't tell you. If you ask me where did they go to college, I have no idea. I literally don't know. It'll come up in conversation. Oh, we have a GED, Dr. Bush. Really? Oh, wow. I had no idea. I thought you went to Yale or something. I, you're pretty smart. Right? But, but here's the thing. I know a smart person when I see him. So I know a person with knowledge when I see them. And I also know a person with skill when I see it. Like if my um, plumbing is broken in my house and you can fix it, it's like, oh, you got skill I don't have. So I got to pay you money to get access to the skill that you have because I can't do that myself. So be very careful about these ambiguous college majors and in uh, this ambiguous education where it's like because i was in a building and went to school educated now and that is that's a huge rope dope so i encourage you to consider uh, when you're talking about uh even even little things like uh, little girls coming out of school knowing how to do hair that's huge that's huge don't look down on that stuff 
because at least she has an identifiable skill that people are willing to give her money to, to do. Now, at that point, that little girl who knows how to do hair also needs to learn how to start a business so that she can position herself at the top of the food chain. So she's not going to get exploited by uh, by by somebody else's, you know, somebody else's uh, economic power play. You follow what I'm saying? So so let me keep going. Let me keep reading here. All right. So he says the investment fund strategy will provide training and investment loans for blacks to start businesses. Furthermore, just as ethnic immigrants are using revenues to generate it from the black oriented businesses in order to pay transportation costs of their relatives and friends from their homelands in America. Blacks could use the investment funds to cover the cost of bringing in and hiring immigrants of African descent. I think I already read that. OK, number three, there is no historical justification for providing affirmative action relief. Asians, Hispanics, the disabled, gays, abused wives, or senior citizens. People uh, in these categories haven't suffered throughout American history. Blacks must refocus the national agenda on race, then extricate themselves from the catch-all category of minority. So that's really, really important. A lot of people will will, will, will slip in a rope-a-dope conversation where they'll say, well, it's really not racism, it's really poverty. Poverty is a real issue. We got to really fix poverty. And I remember I remember going through that with a white woman. I was I was debating with a white woman who I thought was an ally back when I was 19 years old. This was before I understood politics the way that I did. At that time, I was a car-carrying Democrat in every way. Uh, now I don't I don't vote for either party. Uh, but back then, that's what I was, right? And I, I, I remember thinking, you know, little things like, like oh, Bill Clinton's going to save the world and, you know, all this other stuff. The Republicans are the only racists that are out here. I, I used to believe these things. And I was talking to this white woman, and I remember... She said, uh, I, we were talking, I was talking about racism and some of the things I'd seen as a black person. And I remember she said, no, the real issue isn't really race. It's poverty. We need to eliminate poverty. And I remember just suddenly in that one moment, I felt the whole weight of the world on my shoulders. In that very moment, I felt like somebody had put a 10,000 pound gorilla on my back. I said, so I got to end poverty in order to fight racism? Like before we can even get around to racism, I got to make sure every poor person isn't poor anymore and totally forget about race. That didn't feel right to me. It felt overwhelming. Like th- that's a big job. It's like drinking the ocean. I can't fix poverty in the United how, how the hell are we going to do that? And, and, and so years later, when I reflect on that conversation, I realized that that happens all the time when they put you in this group of minority or you're not a white male. So you've got um, in universities, universities are bastions for teaching, for sort of teaching this ideology. They, 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 they mix it in with, with that term cross-sectional. Now I don't think the term cross-sectional is a word that should be banned or it's always bad, but I think it has to be, you have to be very specific and very careful about allowing that sort of terminology to be used to describe what black people are going through. Uh, there is a difference between being black and being gay, or, or there's a difference between being black and being a white woman, because white women are getting wealth, crazy wealth behind the white man. He might be mean to him. He might have mistreated him. I mean, white men have treated white women really badly. Like, if you look at the history, it's pretty terrible. But they still get to go to bed with him every night, and they still got a piece of that money. They, they got to live in the same house with him. I mean, that's a different experience from being black. Right. So ultimately, I think it's really important to make sure that we separate off. You know, we say, okay, you know what? I'm all for the coalitions. I think all that's great, but I'm not going to put more energy into the coalition than I'm going to put into making sure that my people get what they need. And if you want me in your coalition, I can participate, but you're going to have to give me as much as I give you. And I think that's the key issue. Like if we're going to get in the car together and ride to work, like like I'm driving my car to work, you're driving yours and you say, hey, you know, we could save gas and get there faster if we took the same car because we could ride in the in the commuter lane and, and it would be more efficient that way. I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to tell 
in the car with you, with you, you raggedy SOB. No, some white people might not be so bad to work with, but my thought is like, I'm gonna be like, okay, so whose car are we gonna drive? Um, who's gonna pay for the gas? Uh, who's drive? Who's driving the car? Actually, anyway, who who owns the damn car, right? And, you know, who, so so if I'm if I'm the owner of the car and 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 I get to decide whose car we're gonna drive, and you're gonna pay for the gas, <laughs> and and I'm gonna be in the driver's seat, and I get to decide if we get to stop at Dunkin' Donuts or not, then maybe that's a better deal for me than you simply saying, "Hey, uh, Sambo, get in the back of the car, and we we go, and you gonna pay for the gas." And, and and we're gonna we're gonna do whatever we're gonna do, and we're gonna play we're gonna play white people music the whole the whole ride to work, right? You know, like that's gonna that that's kind of what it. And then also you might ask, well, who else is gonna be in this car? If we have a coalition, who else is in this coalition? Who else is? Uh, because remember, when we're forming a unit, a union, the union is is an odd thing. It's like forming a gang. If I join a gang with you, that means that that what that means. You got to cover up for my BS. I got to cover up for yours, right? I got to come through for you when you call me. You got to come through for me when I call you. That's cool, but you can't be in a gang with everybody because some people are bringing craziness to your space. Some people you're like, mm, I can't be in a gang with him because he's always getting into it. He's always out here shooting and stuff. He's going to get everybody killed, right? So, so not every coalition makes sense, right? So when black people form these coalitions and the Democrats are like, we're going to throw in, you know, we're going to throw in every, the kitchen sink. Everybody who's not a white Republican is going to be thrown into this big category. And all of us are the same, all for one, one for all. There's a benefit, sure, and in, in the, the numbers get bigger and all that. The downside is that you end up co-signing on things that are not consistent with your values. I can tell you right now that the vast majority of the black people that I see in this space are not real comfortable with some of the the, the, the transgender conversations that are out there. You know, that, that, that a boy can can run track as, as a boy for three years and then the last year just asses. Like, a lot of black people are like, I'm not real comfortable with that. It's not because you're bad. It's not because you're transphobic or homophobic. It just means that you have values that, that, that you hold dear and you're not gonna go along with just anything. So the part of the reason that black people are not good for these coalitions right now is because you don't necessarily, as a collective, possess the um, self-esteem, uh, courage, uh, and strategic foresight necessary to properly negotiate your positioning within that coalition. Let me say that again. The reason coalitions don't work so well for Black people is because you can't have somebody join a gang who's just happy to be in the group. You know what I'm talking about? You know that, that kid that just wants, he's happy because the popular kids just want to hang out with him. You know what I'm talking about? Give me a yes if you know what I'm talking about. Well, he's just glad that Billy wants to be his friend and he's willing to do whatever Billy says. He can't say no to Billy, right? He has no boundaries with Billy, right? So Billy says, okay, I want you to go rob the liquor store. He's like, okay, all right, Billy. You want to come outside, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, I'll be waiting for you. You go in there, you know, right? Like, like that kid should not be part of the group. Like he needs to go and develop himself first individually he needs to be affirmed in another space before he goes and joins the group so for black people what i see with integration integration failed not because integration is always a terrible concept or not because integration in some sort of a collectivity can't work integration failed because a lot of our people were just happy to be around white folks they're just happy to be validated like like, thank you, boss, for just letting me entertain. And you know what's interesting? Here's something that's really cool. Michelle Obama actually said something that I really, that I thought was really cool. I have literally no critique at all of what she said because she was right on point. And I'm looking for my, my extension cord here. And she said, 
something that I thought was really a great statement. I believe that she got this from us. I believe she's been listening to us. Because I told you, I believe Michelle Obama undercover secretly is is one of us. She just can't come out of the closet yet. One day she will. Because we, we represent the future. All, all that other stuff <laughs> represents the past. So so Michelle Obama said something that was real slick recently where she said, um, she said, a lot of us are so happy to get a seat at the table that we don't demand anything when, once we get there. That that you're afraid to ruffle feathers when you get to the table. So you're just happy to be there. So you just you're just trying to fit in and get along, right? And that's not true diversity. That's not true partnership-based integration. That is um, that is colonization. You've been occupied at that point. You've been sucked into the collective, and you become a Borg just like everybody else. You brought nothing new to the table because your goal at that point is simply to blend in and assimilate and fit in. And, and simply be like everybody else. So the group is no different, no better, because you're there than it was when you weren't there, right? So, so the question is, what are you going to bring to the table? And what, and, and what, how are you going to negotiate your positioning at that table? If we're in the car together, um, I'm going to decide, I'm going to get to help decide who's going to be in the car. I'm going to get to help to decide which direction the car is going. I'm going to get to help to decide who's going to pay for the gas. I'm going to get to help to decide you know, what time we're going to leave. I'm going, I'm going to be a part of all of that. I'm not just going to ride in the back seat and let y'all just do whatever y'all going to do. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> anyway, um, I'm going to keep reading here. And just as a reminder, you guys know tomorrow the Black Wealth Boot Camp starts. And the Black Wealth Boot Camp was designed specifically for anybody that wants to get off the corporate plantation or never, ever have to go back. So it's all about all the different ways to make money. It's six weeks long. It's a very popular program. It's a lifetime membership. If you're interested, just go to boycewatkins.com and take a look. Uh, if you use the code word Dr. Boyce, uh, because you're in the class, you can use the code word Dr. Boyce, one word. And I think that that would be like 20% off anything in the Black Business School. So keep that code nearby if you ever want to try the Black Business School class. Everything has a 100% uh, money back guarantee for the first 30 days. So there is no chance at all that you'll be disappointed because if you are, we have a great support team that's on standby, that's ready to do whatever it takes to make it right, give you a refund, whatever whatever you need, okay? So uh, we just want you to consider giving us a try. Uh, just go to voicewalkings.com and take a look. It's right there. We start tomorrow night at 8 p.m. All right, so uh, number three, uh, he says, okay, so he talks about there's no historical justification for providing affirmative action for Asians, Hispanics, the disabled, gays, abused wives, or senior citizens. Uh, he also says this, he says, as the dominant society's public policy on blacks continues to make blacks obsolete, government will increasingly um, will increasingly function as the drum major for benign neglect toward black Americans. So so the government's going to continue to support this policy of simply ignoring things that black people want. Uh, if you look at some of our black elected officials, James Clyburn and others, they are incredibly tone deaf when it comes to things black people want. So black people show up and they say, we want reparations. And they say, oh, well, we're going to get you more voting rights. <clears throat> we're going to make sure that when you go to vote, you don't have to show an ID. Uh, and again, I, I told you it didn't make sense to me because I don't know a single black person anywhere who can't get an ID. If they expect me to show a VAX card, how do they expect me to get an ID card if I can't get an ID? Like, that's just crazy to me, right? So they're demanding the VAX card, but saying that showing the ID, well, that's, that's racist. But showing the VAX card, but that's okay, right? That doesn't make any sense, right? So all those, that, that whole voter... Um, that whole voter ID stuff, um, the whole conversation about fighting for voting rights, that pretty much is designed to keep them in power. They're saying, we, we want to make sure you can always show up 
to keep us in power. That has no benefit to black folks. That only benefits them. Uh, or, or you show up and you say, we want more uh, loans for small businesses. They say, well, no, we're just going to make sure black people can get the jab first. We're going to make sure all the jabs go to the black communities before they go to anybody else. Right. Well, a lot of people don't want that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't want it. I'm not saying you shouldn't go do what you're going to do. Right. I believe in freedom. You have the choice to make whatever decision you want. But this idea that that think about this every single time this is this is a sign of complete disrespect every time you ask for what you want they ignore you and give you what they think what they want you to want right every time you know so 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 it's like my wife shows up and take me to dinner and i say hey i i just uh fought for the right for you to go wash the dishes i i cleared the path i cleared the kitchen out so that you can go clean the kitchen tonight now i i, I, I did it for you baby i did it for you right so you can go clean you can go get to cleaning that woman right that that's insanity that's absolute insanity and complete disrespect and i think that needs to be called out so um so reading forward he says unless blacks step forward to challenge the government to amend its policies affirmative action in name only will will be used to perpetrate the sham there will be no affirmative action efforts that solely address the historical wrongs that still hound blacks. Instead, affirmative action programs will be nothing more than empty shells for addressing the needs of ambiguous, amorphous groupings. Affirmative action provisions should be meted out on a ranking or scale that determines the most needy and the most worthy. In addition, public policy remedies must be restructured for the narrow purpose of redress to blacks. The justification for such measures is this. Hispanics, white women, and other minorities were not statutorily enslaved, Jim Crowed, or racially segregated. Redress should be directed towards specific injured groups and not to non-injured classes, who now seek to benefit from the affirmative action programs that were originally designed to address the historical suffering of Blacks. Qualifications for reparation-type programs should include a scale to measure the degree and extent to, of historical oppression, as well as the magnitude of con contribution, the potential reparation recipients made toward the development of the nation. So Dr. Anderson is arguing that affirmative action programs shouldn't be the same for everybody. Uh, that every person who is not a white male should not be put in the same category as every other person who's not a white male. Uh, also, the amount to which you have contributed to the development of America should be included as well. Uh, nobody has has contributed more to, to American wealth than black people. Uh, if you look back and you go back to 1680, 1670, where white people were really struggling, when America was struggling, it was black labor that made uh, that made things pop. That's what made the wealth thing kind of happen. So, uh, so he says applications for affirmative action or reparation benefits should also include a scale to both assess the extent to which the applicants sustained statutory abuses by the government and measure the length of the potential recipients residents in this country. So if you're new, you can't fit in to uh, what black people are going through. We, we've been here, this is our country, we've been here. And there's nothing wrong with saying this. I know people will spin it into, well, that's anti-immigrant and that's, that's divisive and that's wrong. That's a bunch of BS. Because I know people specifically who tried to immigrate to other countries and a lot of, most other countries have a policy that says it's our people first. Um, I know a person who's trying to immigrate to Denmark and she married a man in Denmark. And even Denmark is like, we don't care if you married him or not. We don't care if you got to have Denmark baby. Your baby is one of us, but you're not because you weren't born here. Right. So most countries have that in their laws. It's not like, that. you know, we're doing something strange or crazy. This is what you call common sense. This is called protecting what's yours. Now, uh, you can 
be, you know, I guess, open and giving if you have abundance, you know, if you, so if we're sitting on, you know, tons of wealth and, and everything's easy and, 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 and wonderful, then yeah, you can give some things away. You can give some space away. You got some slack, but black people don't have that. Uh, you go to our communities, the, the communities are broken and struggling. Families are struggling. Uh, it, you know, people are getting killed on, on all these blocks in black neighborhoods. It's, it's kind of chaotic. So, so we don't have the luxury to just give away all the benefits that are owed to us. And your one opportunity to get some of that back is election season, election season. And, and, and the way they control you is they go to black media outlets. They go to the boule. They go to the people, the elite Negroes who, who run the media outlets and they pay them lots and lots of money to push a certain message. And they keep it dumb. I was listening to one of the morning shows. I don't know which one it was. I'm not here to pick no fights with nobody. So I'm not even going to say which one it was. I think I know which one it was, but I'm not going to make fun. You can imagine. Just pick any any of the urban morning shows. And, uh, and I was listening to how stereotypical it sounded. It was literally a black man saying something like, silly and sexual like well you know it did they go go get some booty <laughs> and then you heard a black woman in the background <laughs> y'all know what i'm talking about you, you know what I'm, talking about? I'm not gonna tell you i don't know which show it was i don't know but you can probably guess which one it was right and i was just sitting there thinking i said wow this is so interesting that they keep us on the clown frequency Right. They keep us on the clown frequency. So when I've gone to some of these shows and I've been on a few, you know, I've been on a lot of out in different media outlets. I remember having them say, you know, no, Doc, you, 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 that, that word was too, was, was too long. You can't use a word like that on the radio. Ain't nobody going to understand what you're saying. And I'm like, but don't we want people to be more intelligent? Cause I can explain what the word means. Like I, I you know what it was? I think I made reference to how media destroys the prefrontal cortex of your brain which disrupts your logical thinking, your ability to think strategically and critically and to make plans for your brain. That's the only part of your brain that separates you from an animal. I don't know if y'all know that animals can't plan for the future. If you give a dog seven days worth of food, the dog is not going to, he's not like he's going to eat a little bit every day and try to stretch it out and make a plan. The dog is going to eat seven days worth of food on the first day, and then he's going to starve for the other six days. So a lot of our people, if you look around, you'll see people that live their life the same way. They live it up right now, instant gratification. I'm going to have it all right now, babies, mamas, and, and throwing money at the club and, and living my life on the edge, you know, YOLO, you only live once, whatever. And then they're struggling later on because they didn't make a plan, right? So my argument is that part of the reason that people do this is because there's a huge cultural influence toward instant gratification. You know, like even with black men and sexual discipline, uh, you know, every man thinks about sex, every woman thinks about sex. But there are some people who say, um, you know, like I, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I talk to my wife about, you know, some, some of our experiences with, with, with dating and all that, she talks about like how you know, she's like, yeah, I remember one time there was this guy who uh, offered to pay my rent when I didn't have any uh, money. And he said, uh, he said, I'll, I'll pay your rent if you would just let me keep this box in your closet. And she knew he was a dope dealer because he had the big old gold chain and the Mercedes and all that. And she said, I do not want to get shot. And I'm not trying to go get 40 years in prison, <laughs> keeping your box in my closet. Like, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you pay my rent. Whereas there, there are a lot of people that might think that's exciting. There are a lot of women who might say, yeah, but, but he's so funny. He's such a nice, nice man. And da, 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 right. And next thing you know, you're sitting there and you got a 40 year prison sentence. And, and that man ain't even visiting you behind bars. There's thousands and thousands of women that are in prison right now behind whatever dirt their man was doing. There are hundreds or probably thousands of women that have been murdered 
because of things that their man was into, right? Or the same thing is true with men choosing the wrong women, right? So this ability to think strategically is uh, is a critical for black survival. So what is interesting though, is I feel like in media, when I watch media and I watch how people respond when things go wrong, uh, people want another rapper die from a drug overdose. What can we learn from that? Well, we don't learn nothing. You know what we do? We 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 throw we throw up prayers and we say, "Oh, R.I.P." Or or you know, young young Whippy. He was he was a good he was he was a great man and he had bought a nice house and a Bentley for his wife and and his you know whatever and you know and, and like R.I.P.s and and your you know prayers up and all that. But ain't nobody saying like, what can we learn from this? How do we how do we stop this from happening? Like where what's the who done it? Like what's the cause of this? Right. What, what are these, these record labels celebrating the death of black people? Maybe we got to address this. Right. That that sort of strategic thinking is not encouraged. Right. And a lot of it comes from the media that is consumed. But so when I'm listening to that radio show and they're just yucking it up like, yo, 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 who not? You know, the breeze always be tasting frosty on Thanksgiving. I'm literally thinking. This is so interesting. They 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 take some of our smartest, most powerful people, and they turn them into um, adolescent clowns. Like literally, you're a 45 year old teenager and you're a clown. Like, there's not a point where you can stop as a man and get real serious and say, "We have a serious problem. Here's how we're going to address it. This is the plan." No, everything's yucking it up. Everything is YOLO. We you know we, because that black victimhood can kick in, right? Like we're just black. We know things are going to go bad. We know our relatives are going to die early. Big mama's going to get a foot cut off from diabetes because ain't nobody ever talked about, you know, eating healthy food. You know, all of this, right? Little, little rerun's going to get shot on his, on the, on, you know, because he out thugging in the street. You know, the XYZ is going to happen to the daughter. She's going to have four baby daddies that, that, that ain't paying child support because that's just because they, they were handsome and, and the sex was good, right? Again, that instant gratification. So, so the, the, that, that point I had or that interesting conversation, it was actually um, Chicago's biggest urban radio station. I think it's V103 or something like that. That was when the guy said it was like a comedian, you know, because they always put a comedian on these shows because that's that's what it is. Right. The black man is there. You know, if you make people laugh, that's a good way to get ahead. It's been true all throughout history. And I, he was the one that kind of said, he said, whoa, doc, don't use that long word. And that's and, and, and what I referenced was the prefrontal cortex. And I said, well, man, I can explain what it is. And it's critical to understand this because your people are struggling because you're not thinking critically. You're not able to understand white supremacy. So you're going up against um, the equivalent of a nuclear superpower and you are holding a baseball bat. Like you're literally trying to go up against a very carefully designed, very strategically designed system of oppression. And you can't even think past next Tuesday. You're not going to win. Like Michael Jackson in The Wiz, you can't win, you can't break even, and you can't get out of the game. You stuck in the game. You ain't never going to break even. So so let, t- take that equality talk. Take the word equality out your mouth, and, and you definitely ain't going to win because you're not even prepared to be a defeat the king. The clown cannot defeat the king. So don't let your black men be turned into clowns. There's a time for laughing, but then there's a time to be serious. When is the time for black people to be serious? That's what I always would ask. If you look at mainstream media, a lot of the urban radio networks, there is no time to be serious. Everything's a joke. Everything is yucking it up and all this other stuff. And the laughter, in my view, is a way to deal with the pain, right? It just says, 
why confront our problems and fix them when we could just laugh every day and find some way to forget our problems? And I totally get that. I like to laugh all the time. Y'all see me make jokes a lot. I love to make jokes. I think com there's a power in laughter, a power in comedy. Uh, and, and Dave Chappelle, I think, uses it brilliantly because Dave Chappelle, I guarantee you that if Dave and I were talking, I don't know Dave. I know people that know him, but I guarantee you that if he and I were sitting there talking, it probably wouldn't be a funny conversation. It would be a very serious conversation because he is a serious guy that knows how to use the power of comedy to get to the serious issue. That's what I love about Dave Chappelle. That's his magical superpower. And that's why I respect what he's been doing uh, in terms of challenging cancel culture and all that. All right. So let me, let me keep reading here. Uh, we'll keep on going. And, um, and, uh, and don't forget, uh, my website is voicewalkings.com if you want to see the other stuff we have going on. And uh, just as a reminder, on Tuesday, we have stock market investing class. I know this week uh, we had a little bit of a disruption, but next week we're back on track. Uh, and then also Wednesday, we do the book club. And then Thursday, we do the Black Wealth Bootcamp. Uh, and so in the code, some of you are asking about the code to get the discount in the Black Business School. The code word is Dr. Boyce, all one word, Dr. Boyce. And you can get 20% off anything in the Black Business School. So uh, feel free to take a look. We have a business school for children. We have a lot of great programs on real estate and all kinds of stuff. And I'll let you guys know about some other things we have going on. We have a generational wealth conference coming up uh, in March. My book is going to be released. It's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. Um, I'll give you guys a chance if you want. You can order advanced copies. What I was thinking about doing was taking the copies actually before they even go to the printer and signing them and making them personalized and stuff if that's something you're interested in, 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 in taking a look at. Uh, and also we have a great movie coming out this year uh, that I'm really excited about. Uh, Rick Mathis is working on the film, and I'm not going to tell you guys about it because I'm just going to break it out there because it's going to be epic. I'm super excited about it, but I'll tell you all about it later. All right, so um, let me keep reading here. All right, so he says strategy number three. This is page 184 of uh, Black Labor, White Wealth. You can go to Powernomics.com to get a copy. That's where you can get the copy of the book. And he says blacks are America's most impoverished population group. But when considered as a nation within a group, they could generate disposable income to sustain black economies. Uh, as, as he's, so he mentions uh, that at, at that time, at the time of the writing, black people had about $280 billion in annual disposable income. That number's increased to about $1.4 trillion, right? So, so black people, I mentioned this to you guys before. I won't go through the, the whole thing again. But basically, if you were a country, you would be in the top 10 countries on earth. Right. Did you did you give me a, give me a yes if you've ever seen me go through that that fun little exercise where I rank all the countries by GDP, because um, I, I think it's so much fun because I love to. The myth that black people ain't got nothing to work with, that we have no resources uh, because you've got a massive amount of resources. Um, in fact, one point four trillion dollars, uh, it puts you ahead. You're, you're about even you're a little bit ahead of Australia. Uh, in terms of wealth, if you were a country, you would have more wealth than Australia. Uh, you're slightly below, below South Korea. Uh, you'd be ahead of Australia, Spain, Mexico, Indonesia, Turkey, the Netherlands, Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, Argentina, Sweden, Poland, Belgium, Thailand, Iran, Austria, Norway, United Arab Emirates, Nigeria, Israel, South Africa, Hong Kong, Ireland, Denmark, Singapore, Malaysia, Colombia, Philippines, Pakistan, Chile, Finland, Bangladesh, I can keep going on and on and on. In fact, you have four times uh, your your disposable income, the money that your 1.4 trillion is is actually almost almost five times more than the um, than the total uh, GDP of Finland, um, uh, Egypt. You got Egypt, Vietnam, Portugal, Czech Republic, Romania, Peru, New Zealand, Greece, Iraq, Algeria, Qatar, Kazakhstan, Hungary, Angola, Kuwait. I can keep going. There's about maybe another 30 or 40 countries on the list. And, uh, and, and you have them all beat. So 
uh, when people try to convince you that black people are just fundamentally poor, just tell them that's not true. Actually, black people are very rich. You're very rich, but you're like the uh, you're like the least rich um, people in a very you're you're the poorest people in a rich neighborhood. That's your problem. Like you know, everybody else's house is a ten million dollar house, and you have a one million dollar house, so you think you're poor. Or everybody else around you is seven feet tall. You're six foot five, so you think you're short. You're not short. You're not poor. Uh, but what is really unfortunate is that when you are a part of an oppressed group of people, you develop a poverty mindset, right? Mindset is everything. My, my area of expertise in my dissertation uh, was actually financial psychology. So, so, so money uh, is highly affected by how you think. Money affects the way how much you think. Also, how much you have relative to other people affects how you think. That's one of the reasons why I was mentioned to you guys earlier, actually today, that you got to be really careful about, about mainstream media and social media. You have to calibrate how much of that you consume. Because one of the reasons that social media, in most studies, it makes people very depressed. Well, why do you get depressed? Well, because you're comparing what you actually have to what other people have made you think that they have. Right? Yeah, they don't, they don't show you all their problems. They just take a picture in front of a Mercedes at Christmas time and say, I'm blessed, right? The Mercedes got a big bow on it. Oh, I'm so blessed. Look at what my baby did for me. So they're giving you the impression that they're in this happy relationship where their man just bought them a Mercedes. When you don't know, that man could be beating their ass every night. Or that Mercedes could be more debt that they will never repay, right? Or that might even not, might not even be their car. I don't remember LeBron James. Um, his mom, his mama was kind of kind of wild. She was dating uh, young guys, and um, and there was a young guy that his mama was dating, and his mama took a uh, the, the guy took a picture in front of LeBron's private jet and put it on Instagram. So he's Instagram flexing with another man's plane, right? So basically, that's kind of what um, what you deal with in social media. So you got to be real careful about social media because what it does is it is constantly causing you to look at what everybody else is doing and what everybody else has going on. And you're comparing their fake life to your real life. And that can be really depressing. So what I would encourage you to do is if you ever get to the point where you start feeling overly competitive with somebody else on social media, stop following that person or just quietly, you know, you have the mute button where you can unfollow them, but not really let them know that you're not following them. Like turn the blinders on or, or take on a social media detox. That's, that's a good exercise to do. You have to, in fact, some of the most comfortable periods of my life when I was actually in Facebook jail and couldn't be on Facebook because another reason that social media is unhealthy psychologically is also because it creates a lot of division. The algorithms are designed to uh, create division amongst people. They they feed, you know, if you're the angry Trump supporter who thinks that everything's a scam and could go, they're going to feed you more QAnon content. Right. But if you're the liberal who thinks that all the Trump supporters are crazy and and that the Capitol riots, they were trying to take down the country and all that. Well, they're going to feed you more stuff that's going to affirm that perspective. And I, and I think all that's extreme. I don't think the Capitol rioters. First of all, that was one of about 500 different riots that occurred in 2020. I, I thought they should have invested. If you're going to investigate one, why not investigate them all? You know, like, seriously, I don't, I don't understand what's different in that one and all the other ones. Right. It's bigger, of course, but that's about it. Uh, and then the other thing is, I don't understand how. Um, I, I still can't figure out uh, why the Pentagon is right down the street with all these uh, military helicopters and soldiers and tanks and, that you spend a trillion dollars a year on and you can't defend the Capitol against a bunch of hillbillies with baseball bats. I, I didn't understand. I just didn't get it. 
Nobody's explained that to me yet. <laughs> like, right? but, but that's how politics kind of works. They, they run with their explanation and they ignore all your questions. You have a question, a legitimate concern, something doesn't make sense. Their job is like just look to the other side. And any therapist will tell you that if you ever want to ruin a marriage or a friendship or ruin a relationship with anyone, then get put yourself in a mindset where you don't listen to the other perspective. If you can't listen to the other perspective, if you can't take a moment to empathize with their point of view, then that relationship is as good as dead because you're, you're undermining and taking away that person's right to have a reality that belongs to them. I learned that as a married man, I learned this is one of those survival skills you learn in marriage. So when my wife starts coming to me with some stuff that sounds like it's from outer space, because, you know, I mean, you know how it is. Men, men really, we, we think differently from women. I, I, we, that happens in our marriage. So my wife would come in and say something that don't make no damn sense. First thing I learned how to do is see it from her perspective. Wow, that must really be hard for you. Wow, so how do you deal with that? How do you, I left my socks on the floor and that made you think the house was gonna burn down. Well, why, I mean, yeah, I can understand how you would have felt that way. It's hard, it's so hard. But once I mastered that superpower, it became so much easier because, um, and this is another thing, I gotta give Oprah credit for this because she's the first person I ever heard say this. And she said, everybody wants to be heard. Like that's that's a little secret for y'all. Anybody wants to preserve relationships. Remember, relationships are important for wealth. It's important for for building and maintaining family. It's important for all of that. Like this this whole crazy narcissism that they're pushing, extreme feminism, or this toxic you know alpha maleism. I'm an alpha male. That means I'm a stomp on everybody. That, all that stuff is stupid. That don't work for family. That works for baby mama, baby daddy drama. If you if you try to always be the alpha and crush everybody else's perspective because you're supposed to be the man. You ain't going, you're going to die by all alone by yourself. You're going to be the old man in the nursing home. that ain't nobody coming to visit because you are an asshole your whole life. If you're the woman who's the strong, independent woman who don't need no man, ain't no man going to tell me what to do. Da, 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 da. Well, guess what? Ain't no man going to be around for that because the decent men I know don't put up with none of that nonsense. Fellas, please confirm that if you are a decent man and you know what I'm talking about. Solid men see craziness from a mile away. We avoid that because I'm not trying to get locked up because you got triggered and you decided you want to throw the frying pan across the kitchen. We don't, we're not going to handle our disputes that way. I'm not going to jail because I know I'm a black man. If the cops come to the house and there's a domestic disturbance, they're going to lock me up. Right? So, so these are little, these are little life hacks for black people that I encourage you to consider. And these life hacks uh, in terms of learning how to empathize and hear from people that are different from you, I encourage you, like just as this Uncle Boyce advice, go find somebody who really says some stuff that just makes no sense to you and try to practice listening and empathizing and, and trying to see if you can at least see their point of view. I, okay, I'm going to go to your side and I'm going to validate what you said. Then maybe that'll give you room or get you get you to give me room to validate what I said. Some people may not do it. Like, in fact, I saw somebody, a, a good quote where somebody said that that therapy is to help people deal with their relatives who refuse to go to therapy. Right. So so it's hard. Right. Because you got all the training. You learn how to do all these things. Your crazy cousin didn't. Right. So sometimes you have to cut people off. Sometimes you got to distance yourself. But in, but most of the time, what I find is the ability to listen to others goes a long way to preserving relationships. So why do I bring that up? I bring that up not just because I think this is a great point for me to share with you in, in hopes that it helps you, but also because that's what's happening to our country. Watch social media. Just pay attention to how people engage with each other. They don't listen to each other. If you ask a Democrat, OK, tell me three things that you've heard a Republican say that you can really agree with without a condition. 
without saying, yeah, but Trump, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. They can't do it. But if you ask the Republicans, same thing. Like, give me three things the liberals believe in that you actually can support. They can't really do that. Right. But, you know, so, so I would encourage you to be different from that. Step away from that. Right. Your goal is to come together. Right. So this is our opportunity. When white people start fighting, that is the opportunity for oppressed groups uh, to actually liberate themselves. Uh, in the, 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 the Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh, uh, they, Vietnam had been oppressed by the French for a very long time. Ho Chi Minh in World War II, when the French were getting their ass kicked by the Germans, Ho Chi Minh saw that as an opportunity to liberate Vietnam. When the, uh, when the occupiers are fighting with each other, that is your chance to sneak out the back door. So Ho Chi Minh was a great leader in, in that regard. He went and said, okay, how do I get my people out of this oppression by the French? Because right now the French are occupied because they're fighting with the Germans. The, the mistake Ho Chi Minh made is the mistake that many black people make to this day. The mistake he made was he aligned himself too deeply, in my view, with the Soviets, right? So now the problem is that when you align yourself with a bigger fight, you're getting the benefits of having a bigger ally, but now you have to take on the 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 enemies of that of that ally. Like all their assets are your assets, but all their debts are your debts. So basically when they align with the Soviets, well, they got the attention of the Americans. Next thing you know, Vietnam is split in half and you got just like you have in, in black America with the Democrat Republican nonsense, you had cousin fighting against cousin, you had neighbor fighting against neighbor, when all the Vietnamese people should have been V V1, like, like we're B1, they should have been V1, they should have said, all of y'all, you, you, the, the communists, get the hell out. The, the, the Americans, get the hell out. This is our country. We don't want you here. I don't know if they could have pulled it off, but that would have been the right approach to take with this. So with black people, it's the same thing. It's the same thing here. This is why I'm going full circle with this analogy. is in, in our society, in our community, we're constantly getting caught up in other people's fights. Right. You know, I'm a I'm a Democrat. You voted for Trump. How could you vote for Trump? Well, I got the I got the jab and you didn't. How you going to not get the jab? What, what's wrong with you? And you can't come to Thanksgiving dinner because you didn't get the. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say that when I see that happening, I see extreme manipulation. I see um, division that is infecting the community like a virus. And I would encourage you to not allow that to happen. And I need you to practice identifying when you see it, when it is occurring. Right. I did not in, in my house Christmas. I'm sorry. I'm, I just made my point clear. I said, well, you know, I didn't I didn't get the shot. But I mean, I don't care if you did. I'm not going to judge you and, and I'm not going to let you judge me. No. And I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. And I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know, because, look, I, I just saw this. I saw this report that said everybody was getting it anyway. So maybe we need to listen to Queen Afua and go and take care of our immune systems. Maybe we need to maybe that maybe there is no solution. Maybe, you know, you got everything, monoclonal antibodies. You got jabs you can get. Right. Do do you. But we're not breaking this family up. If we don't all go down together, we're going to go down together. And here's what's the crazy part is that that the virus did hit our family. And the people that got it were the ones who had the jab. <laughs> I didn't get it. I was ready. I hugged and kissed the person who had it, and I didn't get it. So I'm not, I'm not, now don't get me wrong. I'm not underestimated, though. I'm not in any way, if you were affected by it directly, um, my heart goes out to you. I do not want you to think that I'm belittling or <clears throat> minimizing what you went through. I'm just saying that I think in this whole situation, nobody really knows what's going on. It's just some people pretend like they know. It's like religion. You know, like, 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 like one group says, well, 
streets paved with gold and and you're going to have beautiful virgins that you get to marry. And then somebody else says, no, no, no. When you get to heaven, they're going to give you a Domino's pizza and a, and a pair of Jordans. Right. And somebody else is like, no, no, no. Heaven don't look like that. That's what heaven. And you're all arguing over heaven. But ain't none of y'all getting dead. None of y'all know what's going to happen in heaven. So just believe what you're going to believe. Like whatever helps you sleep at night, then believe that. And leave other people alone. Stop trying to crusade with your ideology. I don't think that's healthy. I really don't believe that. Right. So um, be clear about who you are, though. Like, I'm very clear about what I believe and what I stand for. But I try my best not to be overly judgmental of others because that does create division. OK, so create that unity. Unity is your power. All right. So let me keep reading. I'm reading on page 184, Black Labor, White Wealth. You can get a copy of Poweronomics.com. Uh, so Dr. Anderson says here, he says, to survive the rapidly approaching pluralistic society, blacks must create a black economy. To develop economically, black dollars must bounce or exchange hands eight to ten times before leaving the black community. Contained and recirculated dollars within black communities would stimulate business, create employment opportunities, and expand tax bases. Analysis. But one, besides correcting the classic problems surrounding the insufficient number of high failure uh, and, and high failure of black businesses, lack of capital, management skills, experience. Two other social factors impede the establishment and effective operation of black businesses in the black community. Uh, the, the withholding of support by whites and blacks. So black businesses have a double problem. They're getting boycotted by two groups. They're getting boycotted by white people and they're boycotted by a big chunk of black people. That's why black businesses have a, have a tough time. Um, and the lack of a vertical network of supported businesses. So he talks about a vertical networks more in chapter nine. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to hit that more in chapter nine. It is difficult and in many cases instances impossible for black businesses to survive when both whites and blacks are boycotting them. Regardless of any business know-how and capital, a black business person must might have without a customer base, the business cannot thrive. White society avoids doing business with blacks. However, blacks now boycott black businesses also as they pursue the integration dream. Boycotting activities intensified after the 1954 desegregation decision. So uh, what Dr. Anderson is saying is that, you know, you're, you're, you're boycotting your own businesses because you've fallen for this dream of integration. And what I think might help with this, it, it, I think this is a psychological exercise, is that we have to stop believing that white people are magical. Right? Stop believing that white people are these uh, pink unicorns with fairy gold fairy dust coming out their butts. There's nothing special about uh, doing business with white people. There's nothing terrible about doing business with white people. White people are not all necessarily bad people. Like I know lots of white people. We're fine. They live on my street. I, I say hi. They say hi to me. They're very nice people. But at the same time, um, this white supremacy thing, remember, it's not just them who might buy into this idea. It's also you because you, you see blackness as a, an inferior brand. You see whiteness as Bloomingdale's, blackness as Walmart. Right? You... you um, you know, the, the pursuit of luxury items, Louis Vuitton, Gucci and all this other stuff. These are art. These are artificial psychological constructs that were planted in your head through very specific marketing that has affected your conscious and subconscious mind. So you'll go and you'll spend eight hundred dollars on a Gucci belt that cost the Gucci people twenty dollars to make, maybe fifty dollars to make whatever they spent. Right. So ultimately, that's a wealth transfer out of your community. So what you, what you have to do is kind of confront that on a conscious level and kind of say, no, actually, being next to white people is is okay, but that's actually inferior to being next to black people. Like what I'm teaching you right now, uh, if I didn't believe that, like, pay attention now, I had to really make sure I understood that teaching black people was more important than teaching white people. Sounds crazy, but think about it. 
You know, I, I was raised in the same society you were raised in. So I'm sitting over here at Syracuse University. I'm talking to Jewish kids whose parents are worth, you know, $10, $20 million. They're going to go to Wall Street. They're going to make a lot of money. They're going to do really well. Some of them are millionaires. A couple of them are even billionaires. You know, why, why would you want to go and teach black people? You know, like, seriously, there are people that feel that way, right? And, and, and I mean, teaching black people is harder, you know, at, at the time. You know, I, I didn't have as much interest in, in economic stuff. I mean, because I, did, <clears throat> I didn't know how to tell jokes. I couldn't bust a rap. I'm not good at basketball and football, so so it's so it's, I'm not gonna be the cool kid on the block because I because I'm not a rapper. Some rapper who can't even spell his mama's name is gonna get far more attention than somebody like me. So I had to find a reason. Is it the money? No, the money's not better. <laughs> the money's not better. I have friends who work on Wall Street who make you know eighty million dollars a year. So so what's the what's the benefit? Well, I had to find my own reasons to believe that being with my people was actually more valuable, right? So, so ultimately it's easier though, if you raise your kids that way, right? If they're in, a, in an affirming environment or they're surrounded by people that love them, who look like them, <clears throat> and they're taught great things about themselves at an early age, they're not learning about you know, Kemet and Kush at the age of 40, they're learning about all this at the age of five, then they're not gonna have to go through the transformation that many that you and I may have had to go through in order to understand the importance of being around our own. Okay. So um so reading further, he says black businesses that survive boycotting have been hamstrung by the lack of support, vertical black businesses within their communities. Uh it is very difficult for black retail businesses to be competitive when they are wholly dependent upon non-black distributors, manufacturers, warehousers, processors, and wholesalers for their products. Surveys have shown that these upline businesses charge blacks 25 to 50% more for poor quality merchandise that is delivered on an irregular and unpredictable schedule. And that's important. So Dr. Anderson talks a lot about vertical integration, you know, controlling the whole process from the rooter to the tutor, as, as, as your grandparents probably said, right? Controlling, you know, like literally uh, the Nation of Islam gets this very well. Um, you know, that's why I support things like Hereafter Farms that the Brother Ben X is doing. I think it's a great concept. Uh, they, they, they actually understand this. Look, okay, you want to get food to your people? Well, you grow the food. You get it to the grocery store and then you get it d directly into the hands of the customer. You or in any processing that must occur along the way, whatever that is, you're doing all of that. You're controlling all of that. That's vertical integration. And that gives you uh, a greater amount of power because a lot of black businesses are destroyed because their suppliers say, hmm, we don't really want you in business, so we're going to cut you out. That happens a lot in the hair care industry. Uh, Asian communities understand that. You, there are countless stories I have heard of black hair care distributors or hair care uh, you know, companies that went out of business because they could not get their product. They were trying to get their supplies and they couldn't because the, the Korean community or whatever just said, we're going to make sure we starve you out. You're not going to get what you need in order to even do business. So, so understanding that whole process and understanding the vulnerabilities in business, they, they refer to that as SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Or uh, another uh, term that's used in banking is what they call the stress test. A stress test is where you say, what parts of my system are at, at risk, right? I'm doing a risk analysis to say, okay, yeah, I'm getting money right now, but what are the things that can go wrong that can cause me to lose money and how will I respond? Okay, well, one way that I create financial security is I have four revenue streams instead of one. So what's my biggest revenue stream? Okay, it's this one. What if that revenue stream gets cut off? Okay, then I'll probably pivot in this direction. You got to always be able to pivot. It's like basketball. If you're, if you're going to go right and they block off the right, 
What do you do? Well, you go left. You got to be able to make sure your left hand is working so you can go left just like you can go right. That gives you another option. If they, if they stop you from getting to the basket, what do you do? Well, you pull up for a three-pointer, right? Or maybe you, you, you pass the ball to the open man. The more of those uh, streams of possibilities you have for yourself, the more options you have. Options are the cousin of freedom. People that don't have freedom are typically people that don't have options. People that have the most options tend to have the most freedom. So if you want to teach your kids how to be free, teach them how to have options, teach them how to strategically think. Again, <clears throat> using that part of the brain that the, that the V103 comedian said was too complex for me to explain to black people, that part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex that gives you the ability to think strategically and you pair them with critical thinking skills so that when they run into these scenarios where you're, you're caught in the trap, you know, you hear rappers always rapping about the trap. Well, that's because you're getting trapped. They're taking away your options. Well, the best way to deal with a trap is to be strategically uh, enough of a strategical thinker that you know how to get out of the trap, right? Like basketball. In basketball, they have literally have a play called the trap. When you dribble the ball down the court, two guys trap you, right? Well, a good point guard can get out of the trap, right? So the question is, are your kids learning the skill necessary so that when white supremacy comes, because you know he's coming, you know the white man's coming, he's going to come protect what's his, right? Negroes belong to him. He's going to come get what's his. I don't, I'm not mad at him for it. That's what you do, right? So when they come along and try to put you in the trap, the question is, are you prepared to respond? And the way you prepare to respond is you need those critical thinking skills. You need to think proactive instead of reactive. And if you look around the community, you don't see proactive thinking. You see very reactive thinking. Like, oh, Lord Jesus, so-and-so had an accident. They ain't got no insurance. Blah, blah. Well, why didn't they get no insurance? Oh, so-and-so died and, and the kids ain't got no money. Well, why did he die? He was on Instagram using money as a cell phone last week before he got shot. And his kids ain't got nothing to pay for the funeral. That's a lack of proactive thinking. That is, again, the prefrontal cortex, which studies show is actually, um, it's actually weakened by mass consumption of media. When you're sitting there watching BET all day, what it's doing is it's weakening your prefrontal cortex. So your ability to think critically is being diminished. Your ability to think strategically is being diminished. Your ability to make long-term structured plans for your life is being diminished. Your ability to engage in proactive thinking is being diminished. So when you, so you see this, you see this in the zombie culture. You see this when you see people that are going through tragedy after tragedy. They have no idea how they got there. They're not looking back and saying, what do we do wrong? They're not saying, how do we avoid this in the future? They're just reacting to one tragedy after another, no differently from the way a dog keeps getting shocked with electricity and doesn't know where the electricity is coming from because dogs can't think that way. Right. They'll just sit there and make, they'll jump and run and react, but they don't necessarily know how to make a long term plan that's going to help them avoid being shocked in the first place. So you must have that strategic, critical thinking ability. Um, I encourage you to be very careful about media. They call it television programming for a reason, because it really is programming you. Uh, social media does really well. They make trillions of dollars because they know how to hack the human brain and program you. They have data on you. They can predict what you're going to do before you do it. So you have to make sure you're controlling all of that. And that might mean calibrating how much of this media that you're taking in so that you can form thoughts that are actually your own and are not overly influenced by what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is saying. Okay, because the programming, thank you, uh, Veronica, you're right. Programming is 100% real. It is 100% real. They programmed the slaves. Slavery would not have worked if they did not program the slaves. That Part of that process is called seasoning. 
they would get the slaves and they say, okay, we need to teach the slave how to be a slave, right? We don't want no uppity Negroes on the plantation. We need to teach the slave how to be a slave. So they season the slave, which is another way of programming, just like programming the computer. Okay. So ultimately, um, this, this is this, this is what we're covering. So I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I think for tonight that we've, we've covered quite enough. Uh, and so next week, we're going to do this again uh, next Wednesday at 830. The book is Black Labor, White Wealth. You can get a copy at Powernomics.com. I hope you will go to Dr. Anderson's site and buy copies, not just for yourself, but buy them for your relatives. Get, just give them away like chocolate chip cookies. Another reminder. Also, we still have some Black Wealth calendars. So if you want to put Black Wealth on, you know, in your refrigerator or whatever the case may be, feel free to go to um, BoyceWatkins.com. You can find the Black Wealth calendar there, or you can just go to BlackWealthCalendar.com, whichever one you want to do. Uh, so feel free to take a look at that. And then last but not least, you know, the Black Wealth Bootcamp starts tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just go to BoyceWatkins.com, and you can still sign up. Everything's recorded, so even if you can't make the sessions, they're yours for life. And everything we do in there is good. Uh, and if you don't like it, we, we will give you your money back. But because we don't like that, we don't want to have to give you your money back. We kick ass. We, we make sure we deliver. You will be a transformed person when you get done. I guarantee that. Bring your whole family to bring your kids. The sooner you train them on wealth, the sooner they can fly like a rocket ship and dominate this world. So get them ready. Get them ready. Get them ready. That's how you make sure that your family is winning. Got it. Got it. We're we going to be some super soldiers in here. We're going we're gonna to go carry the, carry the torch. How many, how many of y'all give me a yes in the chat? Give me a yes. Let me know. Let me feel good about it. Because y'all know I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sad this week. So this is a tough week for me. But I, so I need that energy. I need to know that I made a difference this week. Okay. Thank you for this. I appreciate this very much. Now go out there. You can do it. You, you are the leader of the family. You are the visionary. You are the super soldier. So go do your damn job. You got it? All right, guys. Have a good night. It was real. I had a wonderful time talking to you. I love you. And I will see you very, very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye.